Today's show is brought to you by OnMail, a brand new email service designed to help you be productive and organize your thoughts. The team at OnMail gave me an account to test, and I love that I can split my inbox into as many mini inboxes as I want. I can make one inbox for my family, one for my college friends, one for the pop culture newsletters I read when I should be working. No matter how you spend your time, OnMail will help you make the most of it. Experience the email built for today at onmail, O-N-M-A-I-L dot followfridaypodcast.com. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Hey. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. Hey. So let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. So now right away, with no further delay. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a show about the best people on the internet and why you should follow them. If you're new to the show, welcome. Every week I talk to the internet creators I admire most about who they follow online. These include podcasters, writers, comedians, musicians, and more. They have amazing taste and will guide us to the people they find fascinating who we should be following too. Today on the show is Devendra Hardwar, a senior editor at Engadget and the co-host of the Slash Filmcast, which is the movie reviews and discussion podcast from SlashFilm.com. This show is very special to me. It's the first podcast I ever listened to that wasn't originally a radio show. So I asked Devendra for one of his favorite moments from the Slash Filmcast. He said his review of X-Men Apocalypse from 2016, which he correctly pointed out, is bad. This clip is going to spoil something that happens pretty early on in the movie, so skip ahead if you don't want to hear that. But honestly, you should just skip the movie. Here's the clip. Not only does that whole Magneto storyline feel like something from Zoolander, right? Like him getting like a dirty, dirty job, a dirty, normal, down-to-earth job. He wants to be with normal people. Um, but in that scene, it, it, it's, it's weird how casually the movie just kills his family as if they only existed to be killed. That is the crux of the movie, guys. That, that, that's how you're pulling Magneto back into this. And if what you're doing is a parody of this entire genre, then your movie is a joke. You can find him on Twitter at Devendra, which is D-E-V-I-N-D-R-A. And you can follow along with us today. Every person Devendra recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. Devendra, welcome to Follow Friday. Hey, thanks for having me. So as I mentioned, I've been listening to the Slash Filmcast for a long time, I think around 12 years. Wow. And uh, I do need to ask you about movies before we get into your follows. Sure. We are about a month out from the Oscars. Uh, If you had to decide right now... What movie should win Best Picture and why? Uh, probably Sound of Metal. That movie completely floored me. It floored all of us on the show. It was my number two pick for Best Movie of last year. Uh, number one was Baccarat, which is not going to be Best Picture nominee or anything. Um, so I think, you know, tremendous film. Sound of Metal has an amazing performance by Riz Ahmed and just genuinely great filmmaking, too. It is such a like an interesting story about somebody who is losing the thing that they rely on most in life and how they're coming to terms with, you know, a new way of being, you know, a new way of being without hearing, even though they want to be a musician. So, yeah, I love that film really hit me deeply and I hope it wins a lot of awards. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, but this is the one Riz Ahmed plays, I think, a drummer in a metal band, right, who loses his hearing and has to. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. um it is powerful. It's a genuinely like moving film. And Riz Ahmed, I hope he gets 
tons of awards for this role too like it's fantastic all right well we'll see what happens there let's find out who devendra hardware follows it's final friday devendra before the show i gave you a list of categories and i asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories your first pick is in the category someone who makes you think and you said film critic valerie complex who's on twitter at valerie v-a-l-e-r-i-e complex which is spelled like it sounds so tell us about valerie and why she makes you think Oh, yeah. I've been reading Valerie's work forever, and I've tried to get her onto the Slash Filmcast several times. I just think her perspective in terms of how she deconstructs movies is fantastic and rare. So we talked about Portrait of a Lady on Fire in the Slash Filmcast. She joined us for that. And that was such a great conversation that kind of ended up being about Greek mythology and deeper themes and, you know, what the movie means to her, too. Like, she is LGBTQ and she wants to support films that have very different perspectives. And that was a perfect one, you know, for that. So I love her work. I want to see her writing everywhere and, you know, wish her only the best. Yeah. Is there anything? So you, you until recently lived in New York, right? You were also in yes. the New York film critic circle along with Valerie. Um, Not in the circle. Like, I don't know, like the uh, there is an actual film critic circle, which is an organization, I believe. I so think. I was in I was among the crew. Like I, I knew people. I've met Valerie several times. We hung out a bit. And I really miss the fact that, yeah, I can't be I can't actually see all my friends in New York anymore. It's uh, it's tremendously sad because I moved to the Atlanta area in the middle of last year to escape the pandemic, basically. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But is there anything uh, from when you've interacted back in the before times, you know, when you're both in New York? <laughs> I mean, is there anything from any, I don't know, uh, interviews she did, panels you saw her on, anything that, that jumps out in your mind that really impressed you? I mean, mainly the things like I, I have to look up specific reviews, but I whenever Valerie produces something, I rush out to read it. And I think she typically has a good perspective of it. But yeah, check out check out her review of Portrait of a Lady on Fire with us. And she also joined us for Judas and the Black Messiah. And that was a fantastic conversation, too, because I think that movie is incredible. And she has a lot of good perspective in terms of what that means, you know, for her. I wish everybody would see this movie. But also, I want everybody to hear her take on all these films. Yeah. So as as you mentioned, she is a black queer woman. And on her website, she says that she wants to change the landscape of film because people from marginalized communities are constantly being shut out of the culture, the the quote unquote mainstream cultural conversation. So how hopeful are you feeling right now that representation is improving in Hollywood. I mean, we certainly have a lot of, it seems like among the Best Picture nominees at least, maybe a hopeful sign in terms of the films that are nominated, but just how are you feeling? It's, uh, I mean, it's getting better. The fact that Parasite won last year, I think that genuinely shocked me. Like, I remember I was laying on the ground, just like resting my back during the Oscars last year, and they announced Parasite, and I just shot back up because... That's an immediate announcement that changed everything. But at the same time, we know there's a ton of work that's left to do in terms of representation and everything. Just the way Minari was treated at the Golden Globes as not being a domestic film or an American film, you know? It was like, in the best foreign language category, even yeah. though it's a film set in Arkansas about an American family. You know? About, yeah, immigrants coming to America. Even though they speak uh, another language, it is still a very American story. So I think there's stuff we have to work through. I also think um, the Golden Globes are, you know, run by a sham organization. Yeah. So that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> and the Oscars, most of the voters are like older folks who... You read those, uh, you know, anonymous um, oh, yeah. interviews and chats with them. It's just like people who are clueless in Hollywood, people like Jeff Wells and folks like that, who is a notorious longtime New York 
film critic mm, commentator question mark is, question mark <laughs> question mark he is he's just in the ecosystem so there's a lot of stuff we have to eject from hollywood uh but i do think it's getting better you know it's great seeing um creators like jordan peele and a lot of folks like just being out there doing their thing it's sort of like and i love the fact that even somebody like jordan peele can follow up a genuine success like get out with a baffling thriller yeah. like us like i loved us <laughs> because it's so weird and it is not trying to be a mainstream movie at all. Mm-mm. And, you know, I want everybody to take those chances. I will say it was really fun being in the theater for us opening weekend when, like, I was at uh, Alamo Draft House in San Francisco, completely mm-hmm. packed house. No one really knew exactly what to expect. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, the reactions to that, I think people who were expecting some of the more tame or socio-political horror of get out and just being completely scared out of their minds by 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 us that that was that was quite an experience by the sheer weirdness and like just like oh man it goes so deep yeah um well anyway that was valerie complex who's on twitter at valerie complex it's final friday let's move on to your next follow i asked you for someone you're jealous of you said Karen Han, who's on Twitter at Karen Y. Han. She writes about film, TV, and culture for Slate, and she's the co-host of the podcast Let's Make a Music, of which I am an avowed fan. <laughs> so what does Karen do that makes you jealous? Uh, everything. Everything. Karen Karen is a powerhouse. Like, I mean, any, anybody who's read her stuff knows this. But also, you know, I remember being in New York and just, you know, working with everybody else in the film critic circle, in the film circle. Like, I'm not really a film critic at times. You know, I'm, I'm more of a tech guy who does this film podcast. I'm lucky enough to be within that circle a little bit. But I remember when Karen first started showing up and started doing things and she would just work her butt off. And she worked so hard to kind of get to where she is. And Everything she does is gold. I love all of her writing. You know, she is ultra productive and I hope she finds some time to relax and slow down. But yeah, also her talent. Like she is just she can just pump out great takes, great reviews, really interesting content all the time. And I'm at a point where, you know, I'm starting to get a little tired. I have a two year old, you know, it's like I I can't do the stuff I used to do before. But it is great to watch, you know, the younger generation like Karen and like a lot of folks, you know, who are producing such great stuff and finding success right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I follow Karen on Twitter, of course, and I, if there's two things I associate her with, it's Bong Joon-ho and Paddington 2. Uh, she, she's, exactly. she's a very entertaining, she's, she is a serious critic, but she's also a very entertaining fan of certain things and is very mm-hmm. enthusiastic about, no, why these things are so good and really convincing you that, no, these are masterpieces that these you know, people are making. Yep. There's a, a video that she went viral for at the Oscars last year uh, where uh, it was her reaction to Parasite winning Best Picture. And I saw that you you, you tweeted at her at the time. So happy for you. <laughs> do you remember this video? I do remember that video. Like it is, we all had that, like we were all up late following all this and she was probably one of the first people I turned to to see like, oh, what is, what, how is Karen reacting to all this? And it's a genuine meltdown. I loved it. Yeah, it's, it's like the one good thing that happened in 2020. And the Oscar goes to... So is there anything that um, from what she's written about, what she's talked about, any, anything that she has reviewed that has really um, convinced you to check it out? Like some something that, that she's, uh, you know, been a fan of that that has has really uh, changed your cultural habits? I think it's, I mean, I don't know about changing it, but certainly adding more insight to things like, yeah, her Bong Joon-ho obsession. I am right there with her, you know, and it, it was, it's really funny to be 
following that guy before he was kind of a known quantity in America, right? Like I even remember even before the host, like I would have to import a lot of his older movies. Um, things were just so much harder to get. But then the host hit and people started really paying attention to the way he works within genre and stuff. And then it just kind of escalated from there. And Snowpiercer, I think, was a great introduction of him in his weirdness into the English language world, you know? So I just really enjoy seeing somebody who loves him as much as me. It's really that. And also Karen has a, you know, a love for, for a lot of boys. She, she has her Karen boys collection. So I love that too. It's, it's hilarious seeing who she gawks over. The Karen boys collection boy. That, that. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, that was Karen Han. Who's on Twitter at Karen Y Han. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Devendra Hardwar. Today's show is brought to you by Captivate.fm, which is the best hosting platform for independent podcasters. And I mean it. Captivate is what I use to host this podcast, Follow Friday. One of the best things about Captivate is that they don't make you pay extra to get all of their growth-oriented features. Even on the lowest cost plan, you get everything. Top-of-the-line analytics, a free website for all of your episodes, collaboration features for teams, a beautiful embeddable podcast player, so much more. Nothing is off-limits. Everything is right there from day one. You only pay more when your podcast gets big, which is something Captivate can help you do. So go check it out for yourself at captivate.fm slash follow Friday. And when you do, you can get a 28-day extended free trial when you enter the promo code follow Friday. And that's all one word, follow Friday. So captivate.fm slash follow Friday. Use the promo code follow Friday for an extended free trial. If you or your company wants to advertise on Follow Friday, visit followfridaypodcast.com slash advertise. It's Follow Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. Devendra Hardawar, I asked you to tell me someone you followed forever. You said Miles McNutt, who's on Twitter at Memels, which is spelled M-E-M-L-E-S. He's an assistant professor at Old Dominion University, a TV critic at the AV Club, and the author of Game of Thrones, A Guide to Westeros and Beyond. So talk about how you started following Miles and, and what his work means to you. Oh, man, I love I love Miles and his work. Um, I think as we were starting the Slash Film cast, um, we discovered him and his blog, Cultural Learnings. And he is just a very smart, obsessive TV viewer. You know, we've had him on uh, early on in the podcast to chat about things. And we would have some of the best conversations I can recall about TV shows. And he is he is just a genuinely like insightful and smart guy. But also you got to have like a certain amount of obsessiveness to really delve into the intricacies of, you know, episode by episode mm-hmm. reviews and things like that. And I think he is just fantastic at that stuff. I've been following him since he was just a little blog. And now he's, you know, he is in academia. He's an assistant professor. He's been writing it, you know, at the AV club and elsewhere too, I believe. It is just fascinating to see his rise to, you know, I almost feel like, hey, we we helped find this guy, you know, and I love seeing him like find his success and keep growing. That's so cool. Yeah. I think on an early episode of Slash Filmcast, uh, you had him on talk about Battlestar Galactica. Does that sound right? Exactly. Like we did. Oh, God, that was so long ago. But we did um, the Battlestar Galactica finale I did with him, uh, with him and a bunch of other folks. And 
that was a, you know, I don't even want to go back to listen to that because I don't even know what that sounds like right now. But it was a big time because that was a huge series. A lot of like I was in love with that show. And even though it got kind of wavered towards the end and the finale was all over the place, it hit me on an emotional level. And, you know, I, I think overall we were pretty positive on it. Probably now it's easy to be more critical of like where that show goes. But we had a really good conversation. You know, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. And speaking of shows that waver toward the end, Miles wrote mm-hmm. the experts reviews on the AV Club for Game of Thrones. Experts meaning yep. the reviews aimed at people who had already read the books before watching the show. Um, were you one of the experts following along with his reviews or were you? <laughs> I was never an expert. And honestly, like I'm not when I watch TV shows, like I don't really get too deep into the mythology like uh, like a lot of folks, um, which I think has become the like the way of watching so many mystery TV shows these days. Like I love diving into it and reading little bits of it, but I can't I can't just like steep myself with every little bit and every revelation. But I love seeing people get wrapped up in a mythology like that and yeah miles is among the best uh, other folks like joanna robinson like everybody you know it has become such a thing on the internet and it reminds me of like watching the the niche sci-fi stuff i used to in the 90s when there was no like real online community you know and geekdom and pop culture like wasn't at the level as it is now i used to visit any cool news all the time to figure out like what oh, the wow. cool geeky Forgot news about any were cool news. yeah any cool and it's still a thing yeah. like uh drew mcqueenie from any cool is still out there writing and he was actually one of the people i was considering among my lists too but yeah things were so different in the 90s and it's uh, and even in the 2000s like when we recorded that Battlestar galactica thing now it's like it's mainstream. Every not, it's not just the nerds watching Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> right? It's everybody watching Game of Thrones. Everybody watching Walking Dead. Mm. Doesn't matter if the show is good or not. Like you have a mainstream audience into these things. So. It is also fascinating to me to just see how far we've come, you know. I think the most recent example of this is with WandaVision, where all these people who never would have deigned to touch a comic book previously are <laughs> sure, going down sure. the rabbit hole of, like, you know, possible fan theories about who is this character? Who is that character? It's It was quite a, quite a cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, another phenomenon that you and Miles have tweeted about a bunch is the video game Hades, uh, which I have not played yet, so I am ignorant here. Uh, explain this game and why people are obsessed with it. Clearly, clearly, I think you two are, right? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty obsessed with it. Like, it is a it's a roguelike, which means it's a game where the whole purpose is that you die a lot, right? The game creates these loops that you have to go through and you fight to a certain point and you die or you, like, beat, quote unquote, beat the game uh, and just go back around and do it again. Hayes is a game by the folks at Supergiant. I've loved all their stuff. Bastion, Transistor, uh, even Pyro. Pyro is probably my least favorite of theirs. But they make these like really rich, intricate game universes. And Hades is one about the son of Hades trying to escape hell and uh, visit his mother in on Earth. And it is a combination of so many things I love, like great art style. Their art uh, is very like bold and uh, anime influenced. And I just really love it compared to a lot of like Western games. Uh, it has tremendous music. And this game just like it feels good. It just feels good. Like we talk about gameplay when I review games and just the feeling of moving around and you know swinging your sword or whatever weapon you're doing and stacking together all sorts of power ups. It feels really good. It never feels boring, even though you're kind of running through the same maps over and over again. And there is a unlike most roguelikes, there's actually a good story in there, too. So I can totally see like why Miles has gotten <laughs> in there, because there's a lot of mythology to, to, to really dig into. That was Miles McNutt, who's on Twitter at Memels, M-E-M-L-E-S. 
It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. Devendra, I asked you for someone who inspires you, and you said Zainab Tufekci, who's on Twitter at Zainab, which is spelled Z-E-Y-N-E-P. So explain what Zainab does and why she inspires you. So Zenep is a sociologist, and she kind of works at the intersection of you know society and technology. I've been reading her work for years, like almost 10 years now, I think, wow. or as long as she's been publishing online. Uh, her book, uh, Twitter and Tear Gas, is a really good exploration of how Twitter influenced uh, you know societal revolutions all over the world. But also, over the last year, she's yeah. also been kind of a guiding force in terms of like, pandemic and coronavirus knowledge and information like she before I don't know what was going on with the CDC and our government but like before the CDC would acknowledge like hey masks could be useful she was out there saying like no we know masks are useful yeah. please for the love of God wear masks yep. and like she and a lot of folks at the Atlantic I think the Atlantic has done great coverage all around over the last year but they she just cut a knife through the BS of misinformation and lies that we were living through and like she is working off of research from what she's seen and covered you know in other societies and also she pushed like us to really consider aerosol infections as like a major thing which i think took also took the cdc for a very long time but i love her work in general because she's always very thoughtful and sort of like me like she is thinking deeply about the intersection of how society works with technology and how technology is influencing us and changing us. It's not just like, hey, you have a shiny new phone. Right. It's more like, what does that phone mean? What does it mean when we all have these supercomputers in our pockets that can broadcast video and photos you know, instantly? She is somebody who's constantly exploring that angle and that, you know, that realm. And I find that endlessly insightful because it, it may just be me. Like I studied philosophy in college too. So I spend a lot of time just thinking deeply about what things mean, uh, even to the point of like, maybe it's just too much. But also I found when it comes to reviewing technology and writing about these tech companies and certainly as they've become so powerful over the last decade, um, it has been very useful to take a step back and think about what these things really mean. I can't tell you the amount of times I've talked with folks at Facebook where I just kind of push back a little in terms of what they're doing. Like I was talking to them about their video conferencing cameras and I was really saying like, are you guys, you guys think this is a good idea right now? Like really like a camera in everybody's home from you guys. <laughs> and like, I was like, it's almost like these things get designed in a bubble and they started like coming at me. They respond to me like, Oh, a bubble. You say like, they've heard it a ton of times before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Actually a bubble. <laughs> like actually it's not a great idea for what you're doing here. And actually that product ended up not being so bad, but I do think they need to think harder about what they're doing. And you know, as a, as a company, I am firmly in the belief that Facebook needs to get broken up. It is way too big, mm -hmm. too powerful, and is not beholden to anybody. Here, here. It's more powerful than most countries. So, you know, it's uh, it's things like that. And Zainab has also been on the forefront of talking about Facebook's impact on the world, too. So Yeah, and, and misinformation and privacy yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So if this stuff is interesting to you, I would say read her work at The Atlantic. She has a newsletter, I believe, too. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Insight. Worth subscribing to. And yeah, re read her books. Like, I think I like reading people and following people who feel like they're making me smarter just by like being in their proximity. So yeah, being near her stuff uh, makes me feel good and always teaches me something new about the world. That, that's exactly what I wrote down about her, which is that, you know, yeah. I've been following her all similar, similar to you and it started following her for her uh, writing and her speaking about tech. But then in the past year 
following her and seeing what she was was saying about COVID made me feel smarter. It made me feel calmer. I mean, that is mm-hmm. such a hugely valuable yeah. thing to have, especially on Twitter, which makes you angry and, and stupid all the time. <laughs> Yeah. Information helps with anxiety. At least that's the way I like. I'm pretty I'm a pretty anxious person. So I deal with that by getting prepared, trying to figure out what's up. Like actually before all the lockdown started, like I was fully prepared in New York. Like I had food backed up like we were buying food weeks in advance once we saw what was happening in China. So preparation is really the only way to deal with the insanity of the world. And listening to smart people like Zainab, I think, really helps. Yeah. One of her TED Talks is called we're building a dystopia just to make people click on ads. This is, yes. I think, certainly aimed yes. at Facebook and Google and other tech giants like that. So let me go back to where I started when we were talking about Valerie and the future. As a tech journalist yourself, how are you feeling about the future? Are you, are you hopeful for about this stuff? Uh, I mean, it depends on what stuff. You know, I do feel like the tech companies, we are seeing more things that make me hopeful, uh, especially like seeing what's happening on the FTC right now. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Biden... Uh, we know he's planning to nominate uh, Lena Khan, who is a longtime like tech critic and a critic of the way reviewing how we consider monopolies in the world and thinking of a company like Amazon under the strict definition of monopoly as it's been for the past hundreds of years doesn't fit. But if you think about in the way it wields power and controls influence online, like it. It is certainly a monopoly in certain respects between people like her and Tim Wu that the administration is bringing on. I do think we are fashioning a stronger response to the to the tech world. The problem is, like, I've been covering tech for so long. I've been mainly like I grew up loving gadgets and technology. Like, it's a thing I just wanted to do. I grew up watching tech TV and all those folks and Leo Laporte and everybody. Mm-hmm. And it is wild to me that I get to, like, occasionally be on Twit and chat with Leo Laporte. Like, that's pretty cool. But I've definitely after college, after high school, I'm more than just a fan. I'm somebody who's trying to like actually report on what these companies and how they're impacting the world. My first job out of college um, after IT, actually, I worked IT for several years, but my first tech journalism job uh, full time was at VentureBeat. And that was a startup covering. You know, we covered startups and they're still around and there's some great folks working there. But living in the startup world and covering startups starting in 2010 is when things really got kind of wild. Yeah. Like that was actually the perfect time to be doing that because it was as Facebook was growing, it was as smartphones were infiltrating the world. It was before we had all these billion dollar acquisitions and now tech basically rules the world. Whereas I think in 2010 and in the 2000s, people were still recovering from the 1990s, like the tech crash and so many things fell apart. There was a new resurgence with mobile tech, with the iPhone and everything, mm-hmm. and with the proliferation of broadband. So, yeah, it felt like I saw this stuff bubbling up, and it felt scary at the time. It felt like a, I felt like the logical outcome for a lot of this, especially Facebook and its chasing of attention mm-hmm. and always wanting to keep you engaged and things like that. Like I felt like that was not great, and that was the ideal that so many other companies aspired to. And now you look at where we are, and it's like it's had a fundamentally negative impact on our democracy. <laughs> And civil society and things like that. Facebook, yeah, Facebook was a big reason why the 2016 election was being meddled with and they didn't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. They knew their platform was powering, you know, certain interference and they did nothing. They actively denied that they had any impact. They were, I think the quote from Mark Zuckerberg was, it's crazy to think that this had any effect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just makes me so angry. Like these companies with yeah incredible amounts of power just... 
it is uh, maybe it's because like I'm coming from like a liberal arts background too. like I'm not a technology guy. I'm not a programmer. I'm not like a technically minded person. I'm not an engineer, but I do want to think about how we use our technology. And I do think we've lacked that for so long because uh, the tech world just prioritized engineers and people who thought like programmers and they never thought too hard about like the ultimate impact of their tools and what it meant for everybody. So, yeah, that's another reason I followed Zainab. Like, I think I think she's been doing that lens and that exploration better than anybody else over the last you know decade yeah she's really connecting the dots in a way that's really important mm-hmm. and valuable that was zainab tefekchi who's on twitter at zainab which is spelled z-e-y-n-e-p devendra thank you so much for sharing your follows with us before we go i want to make sure the listeners know how to find you online where do you want them to follow you Sure. Uh, you can find me online at Twitter at Devendra. I podcast about movies and TV at the slash filmcast at slash film.com. I write about tech at Engadget.com and also check me out on the Engadget podcast because I, uh, I co-host that with my uh, with my colleague, Sherlyn Lowe. It's a, it's a fun show. It's worth listening to. So check it out. Great. You can find me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ and this show on Twitter or Instagram at FollowFridayPod. The most important thing you can do to support Follow Friday is to tell a friend about it. So take a minute now. Think of one person person you know who would like this episode and send it to them. Thank you. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermawan. Additional music by Catherine Chang and Purple Planet Music. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday. Hey, remember earlier in the show when Devendra was talking about Karen Han? Well, he didn't know I'd be doing this little promo, but Karen is one of the hosts of Let's Make a Music, which is a podcast that I have recently become obsessed with. On every episode, she and Brian David Gilbert and Laura Catherine Gilbert brainstorm a brand new song. Working with their producer, Jonah Scott, they write, compose, and perform it, and the results are incredible. You will laugh, you probably won't cry, you'll get some extremely good tunes stuck in your head, so go listen to Let's Make a Music wherever you get your podcasts, and find them on Twitter, where you can send in suggestions at Let's Make a Music.